This episode's guest is Sefton Dale Brown. He's one of our family's favorite recording artists and worship leaders. He's originally from Kingston, Jamaica, and was born and raised in a musical family. His parents are Sefton Brown Sr. and Claudette Brown, and they're gospel music legends from the ministry New Creation Heritage. Dale has been singing for 35 years. He's ministered all over the Caribbean, serving as the choir director, priest team coordinator, music director, worship and arts director for many ministries all across North America and the Caribbean. He formed a ministry called Dale Brown and Truth, also known as DBNT, which started in August of 2009 and is currently comprised of 18 active members from across the United States and Canada. The group blends traditional and contemporary gospel music with their own musical style. They have ministered across the United States, the Caribbean, and now Canada. The ministry released their first album, True Celebration, in December of 2013, their second album under construction in September of 2015, and in January of 2018, they released a gospel reggae fusion project. Dale has currently relocated to Toronto, Canada, where he's very active in the gospel music industry. He's currently the music teacher at Crawford Adventist Academy, the praise and worship director for the Apple Creek Church, the music consultant for the Meadowvale Church, and the director of the promotion company, Music Is Life. Dale Brown and Truth has expanded their ministry to now having a chapter in Toronto called Dale Brown and One Voice. in me in me he gives me joy in everything i need he's the one who supplies my everything no other god can make me feel complete
Dale Brown, welcome to the Waterword Podcast. Good to be here. Good to be here. What role did your family play in your love for music? Whew. Um, I only know music. I've never not seen my family do it. Like, I want to say on both sides of my family, both parents on both sides. So my grandparents on both sides of my family were in serious music. and then. My, 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 both my parents um, grew up very musical as well. My mother and father currently, to this day, they sing in a group called New Creation Heritage. That group started the year before I was born, or the year after I was born, one of the two. Nonetheless, it, I wanna say I've, I've, I've only known music everywhere, my church or church, home church, Tenkat, Seventh-day Adventist church. It was a very musical space. From an early age, we learned how to appreciate music, to respect it, not to take it for granted, and to expect just at the highest level from anyone who attempts to do it. So we, we weren't allowed to, to have a mediocre approach to the music growing up at Kenkot. So, and then my mother, like I said, my mother and father were very, were very instrumental in that part of my life musically because they sang and they were choir directors and music directors and group directors for different entities all over the island when I was growing up. So, yeah. 
so tell us dale what um what inspired um your desire to record albums and did you see that as just a natural progression um no not at all um funny thing is i sat i i, I was doing praise teams and and um choirs and it was like a, a different twist to gospel music because like i said i only knew acapella right so when when i started uh, heading in that direction you know we sang it and you know we enjoyed it. a couple of us myself and like a small group or a small praise team for want of a better name for the group um i was singing somewhere one day and somebody said you guys did so good at this person's song and i was like okay and then i went somewhere else again and they're like oh my gosh you got Hey, you you did their song even better than them, but but I think that the the critical part of the whole encounter for me was just the 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 ability of someone else to just identify or associate the the fact that the song that's being done is not our song, like it's not our original song, and and then uh, in that same year, I was in a space where I was speaking to some um known musicians in the world that you know in the gospel world and one guy said to me he said the only difference between you and i is that i believe and i trust what i do as a as a musician most people are afraid of putting out original music because they don't believe or trust in its process they don't believe in they're not prepared for the scrutiny and the criticism and the opinions on how they interpret music you know what i mean in fact when we the first song that we did as an original when i released that song i ensured not to tell anyone it was an original for one just because i was i was one i wasn't sure how the feedback was going to be and i actually wanted a real feedback on it where people never judged it because they knew i wrote it or it was written it wasn't written by somebody in main street because you'd be surprised how people are even more critical and analytical when they say wait this was written by you oh well i don't think i like that that part and no this could have been done better and blah, blah, blah. so um it was that that made me say you know i'm actually gonna try to write material and it took a while it took a while to actually be uh respected in the especially in atlanta where i lived for years um because atlanta is like a mecca for gospel music next to probably nashville uh probably atlanta is probably number one now but i know atlanta nashville is for like music overall but atlanta gospel music is a big thing there and you know i'm a little caribbean guy who comes there and i'm doing uh southern uh northern gospel music you know what i mean praise and worship style music and the originals like what what are you doing why no you know what i mean so it was it was a big thing for us um to do uh, the biggest thing for me was like i said i never trusted what what I thought we could do as just regular humans 
I never thought that I had it in me to write. And one day we just said, you know what? I said, you know what, guys, we're going to write. And however it comes out, we're going we're gonna to work with it. We're going to accept it. And we're going to push it out and, you know, enjoy it and appreciate it for what it is. And that's what we did. And here I am. When is this? 2006, seven, probably. Here I am. Yeah, 13 years later. Probably. Yeah. And True Celebration, well, that's the first Dale Brown and Truth album I think yes, I came across. It is. Was, it that, is. was that a culmination of songs that survived the cutting floor? Oh, no, no. Funny story about True Celebration. True Celebration was written, uh, the majority of the content was written by my, one of the group members and myself. So back then, I did more arranging than I did writing arranging and composing than I would say writing for content. So I did like musical arrangement, musical composition, um, figuring out just how the song would go. Because I also was doubting my personal writing techniques or my personal writing skills. So um, whatever, <laughs> it's so funny. We never had, we probably had, one or two songs that did not make true celebration. Whatever we wrote at the time, God just led us to a space where some of the songs from true celebration still work today, right? But we never, we didn't have a plethora of songs where we chose 12 from. We probably had, like I said, 13, 14 songs, and we chose 12. So it, it was just literally the amount of songs that we wrote we just worked with what we had for that album and when did you find your stride because you did after that you had under construction, under construction. was that a, um, a more seamless process putting that together was right. your role different yeah so under construction my role was totally different i wrote the majority or at least half of those songs independent of anyone else um, for a couple reasons, it was easy on the back end um, of the music, um, and I was more confident now in my own writing technique, skills, and I was more open as a writer to accepting the fact that it may not be liked or appreciated by everybody. And I, and I my source for inspiration for writing now was a little different. I think in the early stages, the source was just from a, a mechanical side of the music, like the mechanics in the music, how dope the notes are, the chords are, blah, 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 blah. I think for under construction, we, there was more of a focus on, which, I mean, it, it should have been the focus from the get-go, but for under construction, there was more of a focus on worship and how, how can we tap into worship um, organically, like it was just a real approach to worship. That was under construction. That's what under construction was for me. I guess I think under construction kind of, because outside of under construction, I actually did a lot of writing and composition for other artists in that same time frame, right? We just put out our own album. So for the under construction album, I probably had 25 songs 20, that made the cut. 
and then we selected 12 or 13 probably for the album so and yeah. and where does bull believer fit in because this is the latest but it's more yeah. Caribbean. in terms of culture yeah so all right so here now so let's so hmm, bull believer kind of ties the the tail end of the story because i'm from jamaica and i started the musical journey in um in um uh, in atlanta and um in, in, in on that journey i started the journey more so as a contemporary gospel artist as opposed to a west indian contemporary gospel artist right what was funny was though in my mind i thought i was on top of the contemporary gospel artist vibe more often than not, I would be seen as a contemporary gospel reggae artist. And that would disturb me. I would be like, but I'm not a reggae artist. I'm not even trying to do reggae. I'm not trying to sing gospel reggae. I'm not trying to sound like gospel reggae. And then um, I think I got to a space where I just said, you know what? It was, I said, you know what? I want to put this out before the end of the year. And it was probably June. And they're like, no, there's no way you can do a whole album in a couple of months. I said, yeah, we can. And I, as a bold believer, I wrote, um, I wrote everything from bold believer, the whole album. But I wrote it with, I think there's one song I had somebody write a verse, one song, and this is a song called Why. Everything else I wrote, independent of anybody else. Um, but in addition to wanting to do something that was a little bit more culturally diverse or um, culturally connected to me as an individual, um, and, and sidebar, every album that, that we did, that's their Brown and Truth, every album that was done um, from my end, it always had something with my culture in it. So... Honestly, the first album had a couple of songs that had like a little gospel reggae feel. The second album, which was Under Constructions, also had that. So I was like, you know what? Everybody won't like Bold Believer. It won't be for everybody. Everybody won't think it's, it's working. Everybody won't think it, it was a good idea. Everybody won't appreciate it. And that's, and that's okay. I, I was okay with it at that time. What inspired your songwriting? um experiences legitimate just dry plain old experiences there's one song and i was telling somebody this story last week um there is one song that we that i have on the album called he knows it was a it was a sabbath morning probably a friday night i was going through something and i, and I was trying to explain I think I was in a, some, something personal where I had to try to explain to someone or a group of people around me that, no, 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 that was not my intent. Like, no, 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 that's not what I was trying to do. Or, or no, 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 that's not, no, sorry, you got it wrong. It, it just wasn't coming out. And that Sabbath morning, I got up, I got my way to church, and I said, you know what, I'm going to write a song. I sat in the bathroom, and I wrote the whole song. And, excuse me, 
because I was so I was so determined to not lose any of the um, any of the ideas, any of the organic feel. That same Sabbath, I called my singers, I called my musicians. I said, I don't care where you are, please meet me at church. And they came to church. I bought them lunch. They came to church and we sat down and recorded a rough version of the song he knows. So um, it's just experiences. Experiences, um, life, life lessons. Um, I always tell people, um, I, am, I am probably two steps further in music than the average person. So I wouldn't even tell you that I love music. I would say it is a part of me. It is embedded in who I am as a person. It's not a like or a love thing. I, don't, I am a little bit beyond that space where the choices are do you or do you not? Or so, you know, I can't, I wouldn't, I'm not at a, in a space where I can say, I can choose to not like or choose to like. It's, it's literally now a part of who I am. Um, and so my experiences, like I said, were really the main thing that kind of pushed me into a certain direction with regards to music and writing, sorry. And I ask because, you know, songwriting is not just words and feelings and thoughts. The words rhyme. And, mm. you know, were you an aspiring DJ at one time? No. <laughs> Funny thing, I was telling somebody just today that I don't, I don't even see myself as a, as a very good lyricist. So um, I, used to, I used to travel a lot to sing um, in different 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 cities, different countries, wherever. And I used to spend a lot of time on the plane. And while I'm not playing on a flight, I would write tons of songs. But I, don't, I wouldn't see myself as a lyricist. Now, if you have a concept and you need somebody to kind of develop on that concept, I would be your guy right off rip. But then I had to teach myself how to become a lyricist. Um, there's some people who I just think are just amazing lyricists meaning what the, the, their poetic sense is just beyond average jonathan McReynolds, um travis green kirk franklin uh fred hammer just how they write and the things they write about and how they how they title bet is also a really big inspiration for me musically um i, I respect them holistically and how they approach the content of the music, which has nothing to do with the melody line or the musical composition, but just the actual words, as you mentioned, how it rhymes, stuff like that. I've never, it wasn't until I became an adult where somebody told me I sound like a DJ. I was like, oh, wait, oh, I guess, okay. I was being likened to um, chronics or uh, other people that DJ. I hear that all the time, but that was never my my thing at all. I never grew up wanting or even thinking that in any way, shape or form. And you mentioned chronics and I want to ask you, was it difficult for you as a, in terms of your identity as a gospel artist? Because I just remember a time where most of the guys just seemed to growl and your voices, the texture sounded a little different. But the other day I was listening to it could have been any song from Chronics. And I said, I realize now out of Jamaica, 
the tone of the male vocalist yep. sound a certain way. It's a little different. And and yeah, I said, this guy yeah. sounds a lot like Dale as well. The same, <laughs> yeah. you know, that yeah, falsetto yeah. or that high tenor that sounds, yep. yeah. And he's in key. He's, he's in key on the note for the whole time. I mean, I, I don't know when it actually ch changed, but I do know that there is now a greater appreciation for musicians in, in the, in the non-gospel world to what they call sing DJ. So even though, even though they're DJing or they're, or they're rhyming or being poetic in, in their lyrics, they're in key and they're saying it in key. They're, they know the keys that they're singing in. And, and just to kind of bring it even closer home, in, in production now, there are these, these drum kicks called the 808. They're like kicks, right? It's like a, like a kick, uh, like a bass drum kick. And the 808 is actually cued to a piano or tuned to a piano. So the 808 won't just be a, a the bass won't be like a doom, doom. It'll be like a doom, doom. So you know the note is actually doom, 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 doom. So now they are forced now to sing on the key of where the 808 is. So I think that's also influenced it. Um, you're right when you say that there's, there's definitely more, um, more DJs now are, more DJs now are like focusing in, focusing on the, the melody, staying in tune, staying in key with the music as well. Um, I never in my in wildest dreams thought that I would be a lyricist even remotely compared to someone like a chronics in my wildest dreams. Yep. So the, the other thing we touched on earlier, and it's not something I appreciated until I started attending a church called Kingsborough in Brooklyn, where my membership was for quite many years until my family moved further upstate. But I saw the importance and it's something you do pretty well and i want to ask you about your growing pains with um, praise and worship sets and song placements you do that mm. pretty well and i want to know if that came from some growing pains or was that something you adjusted to naturally as a praise and worship leader um it uh it's so funny and this is my shameless plug this is something I will be discussing in the My Worship workshop, which we have slated for August the 9th. Um, the same thing you just asked me. Um, for me personally, it is something that I had to adjust to based on being placed in a culture where we had West Indians who moved to a country where they wanted to still have what they thought was the right way of gospel. And then we had the people who lived in that country who had an appreciation for what they thought the right way of gospel was, or what gospel music should be. And creating that balance and, and trying as best as possible to have the listener not focus much on the the things that define the music in terms of making it cultural or not making it cultural, but more so the content of it. For example, 
I can go to a church and I've done it. I've proven it so many times with my, you know, the group members and so that. I can go to a church and I can sing a song that would be viewed as a gospel reggae song that would not normally work in that said church because when I attempt the song or when I approach a song, I'm not approaching it as a performance. But the song is started, we talk about what the song means. And I get the congregation involved and I explain to them what I'm actually saying. And so now everybody's engaged. So now I'm not singing the song by myself. We are all singing the song. And now we're all just following and feeding off of each other. And when we're done, we just did a gospel reggae song. But that wasn't the plan. The plan was just for them to sing in their minds. And my plan was just to have it con you know, transition. Um, I think uh, understanding the dynamics of the space that you're in. Because churches, churches, a, ch a church's culture will differ based on the space that you're in. Um, the church that you go to, the demographic of the people that make up the church. Um, and there's no, I wouldn't say, you know, I've had this debate so many times. It's unfair to say there is a right or a wrong way. Um, what I will say is you have to identify which way will fit the culture of your church. Um, the Canadian church, I live in Canada now, the Canadian church is not the church, the typical Canadian church is not the church where you'll find people clapping and shouting as you would find in a church in Atlanta. That's just not their style. But do they appreciate the music? Of course they do. Um, there are some churches where they're a little bit more edgy than some others in terms of the appreciation for heavy instrumentation. Like some churches based on the culture don't have an appreciation for a B3 organ. Um, some churches based on the culture and the, the demographic of the church don't have an appreciation for a lead guitar, uh, an electric guitar, but the same church would think it's the highest day in heaven for an acoustic guitar, which is an electric guitar that's not plugged in. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just the culture of it and, and being able to understand what works best for the culture of that specific congregation. And no two congregations are the same. And, and to add to that, yes, it's based on the culture and the demographics of the congregation, but also how you place your songs or where you put the songs or how you connect the songs that work with each other is also extremely important. You have to know when to do what song and when to put, uh, it's not even fast or slow, but it's content, right? And, and the, the, the feel of the song, when to put a certain feel song at a, at a certain space in the, in the program. When to actually do the song and don't go further than a certain point in the song and loop that part because that's the part that will resonate um, on the average listener. Those are some key things that you kind of have to learn how to do over time based on experience and based on just your own lifestyle and based on having to do it multiple times you gonna trial and error for you was it trial and it error it, um not really because when i actually attempted it i was already seasoned in understanding it to an extent 
So, so my first attempt at it, I wasn't, I wasn't a newbie um, mentally. On the mic, yes, but I wasn't a newbie because even in acapella or quartets or whatever, sometimes we're not going to do for meditation that we would do for the special or that we would do for a concert. Um, uh, the, what's that song? I always sing uh, the little uh, hand bone connects to the knee bone, the knee bone connects to the ankle bone. That, like, I wouldn't do that right before the pastor sings, but I would do um, there is a quiet place or come thou fount of every bless. You know what I mean? Because it's just based on my Setting the table. Setting the tone. Setting the, the space right for preparing the table. You're right. I'm right there with you. So that was, that was me and my experience even before um, using that mindset to kind of cultivate a, a, an idea for contemporary gospel in prison worship. I had that mindset because I had, I had experiences in acapella um, and the music in acapella. So, yeah. I, I'm a, I appreciate um, placement. I appreciate, mm. like you've indicated, um, song context in terms of church culture. But I want to ask you, what must it be like for you as a leader? Because I've seen you minister, Dale. You're coming to a church and the musicians are the church's musicians, right? Mm -hmm. And you have maybe your team and it may not have been the team you had the week before. And you're, in a church, <laughs> <laughs> and you're in a church where you, let's just say for argument's sake, you're worshiping in that church for the first time. Mm -hmm. So mentally, the multitasking that must take place in the mind of a music worship leader. Just describe for the average congregant what that moment must be like. Um, it, 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 it can be a little um, intimidating, um, definitely testing, uh, but, but I think what we were able to do was create a brand and the, the brand allowed for us to be um, the brand was very, hmm, how do I say it? So the brand allowed for us to even, even, even when we had singers that were invited or welcomed into the space for the first time, they knew what the expectation was based on the brand. Um, when we had musicians that just played for the first time, never heard me or probably heard me sing once or twice, but they got, they could feel the energy and in seconds, less than 30 seconds, they understood what was expected to maintain the brand. And by brand, I simply mean um, it, it's just a tier for the expectation, for want of a better word. So when you're on that tier, whether you want to say top tier, middle tier, bottom tier, it doesn't matter. The tier that we created or that we put ourselves on, it forced us to be, um, to, to just have that expectation. I can give you an example. Um, I'm really big on every, especially now, my group members allowing, I, I'm really big on allowing them to be individuals. So I like to be coordinated, but I don't like uniform. So you wouldn't see us in black pants, white shirt, and red ties. Um, but you will see us in 
black, white, and red, right? Um, so that is my mild way of saying to them, be yourself, but you're still on the team. Um, I have a couple of requirements, like me personally, for anyone who sings. I said, listen, if you're going to come here and give me 50%, it's not going to work because I'm not going to give you 50%. I actually don't know how to give you 50% on a stage doing praise and worship. That's not in my DNA. I never grew up like that. I grew up only knowing 100%. If you're not giving 100%, don't even do it. Like we were told to sit down if it's not 100%. Um, and then making sure that they are engaged. It is, it is a huge, like uh, the top, top priority for me, being engaged. And when you're engaged, you will, without, without any question, you will be connected with your audience slash congregation. You'll get a clearer understanding of where to go, when to go. You'll be in tune with your leader. You'll be in tune with the musicians. You'll be in tune with the flow of the service. And the most important thing for me is ensuring that there is some type of guidance from the Holy Spirit. With whatever you do musically because at the end of the day this is church and if there's no if there's no spirit or god in you from a, on a real stance you might as well don't do it and i tell people all the time i i am probably one of the realest if that's a word the realest people that go up and because i I'm, i will tell you i am imperfect i am flawed and i am still a work in progress and I'm only able to do this because of the grace of God. Still so on everything the construction. That I do, still on the construction. I'm, I'm, I am solely dependent on God to take the next step. I want to tell you, I want to tell you something else too, Ryan. It's only, I want to say, if I have done 1,500, 2,000 concerts, let's say I've done 2,000 concerts in like two, three years, I have probably had a song list 20 times. 20. Every other time, we have an idea, you know, we have a, we have a tree truck, we have some songs that we know we're going to do. But every other time, the, the, the flow of what comes next, like I don't ever have a paper. People always say, how do you remember what comes next? I hold a musician. The flow is always inspired by the, the Holy Spirit, the, the dynamics of the space and the mood, the tone of the worship service at that time. So when I put all of that into perspective, and I, you know, I used to tell people this all the time, I said, listen, I'm not out here singing no R&B, pop, hip hop. I'm not out here trying to make this to look good. So I'm, there's nothing for me to worry about. This is to give praise to God. So I, and I'm just going to give my 100%. He'll do the rest. And that's my, that's my drive all the time. I don't, I don't worry a lot about how it will come off because it's not for me. I'm not, I'm not out here trying to be praised by it. So because I'm not doing that part of it, it doesn't, it forces me to remove some of the worry. I mean, sometimes, you know, you get nervous or some things musically not sure of, but the overall view on it is not that of worry because, yeah, hey, this is not for me. This is all for the glory of God. So. It, it stands at the forefront of the ministry. And so we attack it just like that. And more often than not, you know, we, we come out uh, successful in the out, in the, like the end results. Sometimes it kind of shaky. 
<laughs> Sometimes, but more often than not, we, we have a pretty good result. And it's organic. And I think that's, yeah. that's the... Definitely organic. Mm. So I'm excited about the lessons. Yeah. The things we take for granted. Being able to speak. In some sense, you are my strength.
I've seen the hashtag bring back the choir, but I haven't seen bring back the quartet. Why do you mm. think quartet music is is um hasn't um, evolved with the times? You know, I, I, I mm, that is an interesting question, Ryan. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's the. You, mm, let me say it this way. People, I want to say that the modern worshiper is more in tune with the visual side of worship than the musical side of worship. Um, quartet music does not always lend to a visual expression of worship. The, for me, most times it was the musicianship that was involved in the quartet music that made it amazing. You know, the, the, the guys are expressive, they were, so, but it, it's very rarely do you see a quartet that gives you a feel like a praise team should or would, right? For a couple of reasons. One, most quartets or quintets don't have a backing band, right? And a lot of times the instrumentation aids in the emotion that's tied to how you express yourself musically. So um, that and, and I, I don't know, it's probably, I don't know, for me, I, quartet played more of a, it, it was more integral to me from the mus musical side of what I did than it was the ministry side of what I did with regards to music. And that's me being totally honest. Um, most of the songs that I do know, I will, even in prison worship, I was throwing up fourth part, four part harmony here, I'll throw in five parts here. You know, every now and then I'm a group member looking like, what are you doing? Oh, I, oh, that don't sound right. I don't know. And I don't even play them no mind. I just sing it myself, you know what I mean? And it works, but that's the inference that the quartet had to me. I think this, this progressive space that we're in with worship is not necessarily the space that will accommodate that. The last quartet, quintet, sixtet that was out there making moves from my memories, public committee. Um, and they made it to the top, not, not, and I'm not knocking the process, but the reality of it was, it was literally the musicianship of the group. It had nothing to do with the ex worship experience. It wasn't, with the, and I think, um, Organically right now, we are moving more towards churches and, and, and Christian spaces appreciating um, worship in a more real, full-body um, encounter as opposed to what you do musically with your voice. Yeah. People don't want to hear the bass line of a singer as much as we would have wanted to hear that, you know what I mean? The tenor is not as sweet to them as how second tenor not as sweet to them. And it's just, it just doesn't hit like it would back in the day. So. And you obviously have an ear, and I mean a literal musical ear. Were you exposed to piano lessons as a child or any type of instrument? Yes. yes. And hopefully my mother is not listening to this because she was very disappointed because I saw piano class so many times. I mean... I want to say most of us back in the day at least had an opportunity to try the piano, but 
I know I definitely did. And after a certain time, I was just over it because in my mind, I thought I already knew how to play the piano. Or, I, or better yet, I could play it enough to help myself. And culturally, it wasn't, a, like, it, wasn't, it wasn't the coolest thing and it wasn't a big thing. If I grew up in North America, I would not stop playing the piano, not even one time. Because I would have seen um, how beneficial it would have been because North America is more of a praise and worship space than the Caribbean was when I was growing up, right? So, um, yes, definitely. Uh, piano lessons. Um, what other instruments? I started taking the drums uh, like in a later, later, later stage in life. Um, my dad taught me how to play the guitar in one key because I, I was lazy to learn any other key. So I can play any song on the guitar in one key if I can play the three chords. If you're trying to get too tricky like Jonathan McReynolds, I can't do all of that. But I can give you one key. I, and guess what's weird? I had like two or three guitars. But I can still only play in one key. So, um, <laughs> yeah, man, the piano definitely was my biggest influence when it comes down to learning. Like even with music theory and notes and placements and transitions musically, inversions, modulations, uh, different stuff like that. I learned through piano. And who taught you the business of music? Because obviously with recording albums and all that goes along with it, owning your material, owning your product, who taught you that aspect of the business, of music? Um, I, I learned that in Atlanta just from... You see, we weren't exposed to that growing up in Jamaica at all. Like, that wasn't a thing that we did. Like, very few people recorded. And if you recorded, you record. <laughs> we actually were okay with recording somebody else's song and just singing it our way and putting it on a CD and saying it's ours, right? Um, so I learned the business side of it while living in Atlanta. I got a greater understanding of the integral pieces that make up the whole production side of music. A lot of it was also touch and go, because I made mistakes um, in the early days, because I was approaching it as uh, old school Caribbean, where I wasn't make, making it a big deal, you know, little things that needed to be made a big deal of. Um, but I learned the actual business side, and my degrees in business as well. So that that part helped. That helped as well for me. Um, but I learned, like I said, I learned that. Think that mainly from being in the business, submerged in the business totally in the States, living in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. So your latest project, Bold Believer, mm -hmm. identifies your worship connecting with culture. Yes. Do you believe the believers we were surrounded by coming up are in that place now where they're connecting worship to culture a little more? Um, it's funny. This is a topic that we have had countless discussions on over the past probably six or seven years within the church, outside of the church, music spaces. Um, I will say this. Now more than ever, there is a greater appreciation for um, the cultural side of gospel music. So whatever your culture is, there now is a great appreciation for what it could be. 
Um, is it where it should be right now? No, I don't, I don't think it's where it should be. Do I think that there's room for growth? Almost definitely. Uh, I feel like we're still growing and learning as a church and as a people. Um, I, I always tell people that West Indians are the only, we're the only culture that does not appreciate on a large scale the music that's associated with our culture in our church. The only, from my experience. When you go to an African church, there's a great appreciation. There's a vast appreciation for the music, the African music. You go into an Asian church, same thing. The Indian cultural church, same thing. Um, the Hispanic churches, same thing. The European, Caucasian um, brethren churches, same thing. Um, when you go into our churches, we want to sing like them, right? Because that's what we that's what we were taught. Um, so so that album kind of helps me. And don't get me wrong, I still believe that some, you know, yes, that's our culture. But I wouldn't do a gospel reggae song at just any space in a divine service or in a service because there is still placements now, right? And what fits based on, like we talked about earlier, the, the space, the demographic um, location and the actual culture of this, the, the congregation as it is. Um, but I do believe that there is, there is now a greater appreciation for what we do culturally with the music. So for us, it would be gospel reggae. Um, that's us speaking and singing using our dialect, which is Patois, and having an appreciation for that dialect in our expression of the music. So singing a song, and because I don't know if you even know this in detail, but there was a time when we were only accepting of the reggae beat, just a little bit, but you couldn't have any Patois in there because the Patois made it dance out for us. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. So we, we had gotten to a point where, and I, and I say this all the time, and some people argue with me. Some people say, well, then I cannot prove you wrong, but I'm going to go with it. If Donnie McClurkin did not sing the song, I've got my mind made, and that bass I hit, there is no way that song would ever work in any of our churches as we have them right. Because, no. No, there would never have been an appreciation for Jesus' name, so sweet. We would never be doing those songs. No, because I remember back in the day, if a bass guitar played, no, 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 he was out. Get him out. Well, Danny did it. He sang in English to the reggae groove. And so it kind of softened up the, okay, so these guys appreciate our cultural sound. Hmm, you probably can appreciate it too. And so our appreciation for it grew from that. In my opinion, I, I have no recollection of anything outside of that prior to that time. That's, like I said, that's probably, yeah, that's the only time I remember it. Amazing. And Dale, before I ask you about the upcoming workshop, which you touched on earlier, yeah. I believe it's August 9th. August the 9th. It starts August. August the 9th, yes. 
All right, so before you plug that and plug where people can follow you and get your products, I know you have a number of albums, et cetera, and I'm yeah. speaking in, into existence. You also have an upcoming book. Um, <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. I like that. We have, a, we have a new album we're trying to push out by the end of this year, too. Um, still, still in the raw, raw, rough stages. Uh, it's so funny because it's not even the it's not even the content that's the delay. It's just aligning it so it's um, so everything is mm, from a production standpoint, everything is seamless. From a listener standpoint. Everything is so when you listen to it, it flows. And then from a musical standpoint, there's a certain level that's matched. Um, so well, yeah, we're working on that. But yes, there was something you wanted. Yes, I stopped you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's fine, man. We'll do it. Um, my hypothetical is you're singing in a public space, and there are three artists who lift us, who inspire us. They're not necessarily gospel artists but they inspire us and you have the opportunity to give them a lead on any one of your songs. Um, who would the artist be and which song would you allow them the honor of leading? Um, well, I'll start out by saying that would be the greatest privilege for me because that to me is ministry in itself. Um, I think for me, non-gospel. But they inspire us. Inspire. I would go with, uh, I'm going to go with uh, an American singer first. Um, who to me was very inspirational. Anthony Hamilton. Um, not a gospel singer. Um, John Legend, Anthony Hamilton. And then I'm going to come back to my people, which, and this is not in, in order. Uh, it's just because I, so I'm inspired musically and, and as a lyricist by cranks, holistically. Um, if I was able to put chronics in a song, I would definitely put him on the song that says why. I have a song called Why You Love Me So Much, God. Why you give me so much love? True, you never take your eye off of me. I am a king, I'm royalty. Um, but with anybody else, any song that uh, would fit them in terms of what they are, because sometimes you, you kind of, when you invite someone to um, come on to a track or to be featured on a track, sometimes you may hear them a certain way and they may feel more comfortable on another song. So I would I would open up the album. I'll give them like four, three, four songs. Say, hey, whichever one works best for you that you think you can put drop something on, that's fine. But Chronics would be my guy, all the way. Chronics and um Elaine. Who's not gospel, but she is gospel kind of. I don't know if you know Elaine Lawton. Um actually a good friend of mine. But yeah. Chronics and Elaine. I mean, Virgo gets a song too. Almost, I forgot the <laughs> name. Oh my God. You know, let me tell you a story. That's the only person, apart from Jonathan McReynolds, who I, first of all, I, I hear all the time that our tones are like, that's Jonathan McReynolds, but 
Romain Berg, I heard, especially when he just started, I would hear it every single time I touched the stage. You remind me so much of this artist named Romain Virgo. You remind me so much of this artist name. And funny story, his bass player, his name is Dale Brown. The bass player is a good friend of mine. He played for a band that we sang in when I was younger called Golden Touch Band. I don't know if you remember Jeffrey Thomas. Um, he, he had a band and, you know, the transition over the years. But at this point in time, Dale Brown, that who played bass for us at the time, he is currently Romain's bass player. And he himself, or I think somebody else had said it to me, and I've always likened it to there's a Dale Brown in that group already, you know what I mean? But no, I have heard it before that I do sound. We have a similar sound. Um, I absolutely love his sound. I'm a Chris Martin fan too. Um, I don't know how I forgot Romain, but yes. Romain, Elaine, Chris, Chronic. That was the name for um, Chris Chronics. For who else? I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head that I would. Uh, no, I can't think of anybody. No, I, I probably you may think of somebody else. No, can you think of anybody else? No. Wait, I'd probably put um. Agent Sasko on one of the songs to do some. Ah, <laughs> I knew what talking about Sasko. I like Sasko too, though. Sasko is a good, he's a good friend of a friend of mine. Um, we met once, but I like him. I think, I think he is an amazing lyricist. I was listening to a song he did right in the COVID season. He recorded it like right, I watched it on his IG page. He was like, just him around the mic and it, there's a beat playing and he was just, it was talking about what was the song talking about? It was like an uplifting type of song, like "Don't Hate Your Brother." I don't remember what it was about, but I know it was lyrically phenomenal. Hey, if I could have rhymed like them, the people say, "Man, oh gosh, oh gosh." But who knows what could have been if we were more accepting of culture and worship? You know, the sky would have been the limit. Yeah. Would as opposed to seeing it as music that were, you know, that was from another world, you know? Mm -hmm. You're correct. You're correct. Because I remember back in the day, Narayan, I remember, you know, back in the day growing up, we couldn't even play a Bob Marley tune confidently. We couldn't even play a Bob. We couldn't even play one love, one heart. Let's get together and be, feel, was it feel all right? Really? Come on. The song literally says, let's get together because we were just not raised in that space. So you're right, back in the day, if our exposure was different, we probably would have had a different view, a different angle on how we would have appreciated the music. So. We, we could talk all night on this, man. Um, please tell me. <laughs> please tell listeners where they can follow your work and the journey. and. When when are you expecting? You indicated the the album that you're working on now. You're thinking end of the year or so. Um. So pre pre COVID, the idea was to have it out by September. However, my darling sister Corona has now shifted the trajectory of plans for most people 
So we don't necessarily have a, a, a projected date, but I would say, because most of the material is, the concepts are down. It's just to record some stuff and align some stuff. Um, my son told me yesterday that, Dad, this is, this is an online season, Dad. You have to do more videos, man. What are you doing, Dad? You have to do more videos. So <laughs> doing more videos um, to, before the album even drops. Uh, I want to say we have one, two, three, four, five, probably nine, ten songs that are already done. Um, I was talking to a producer earlier on today, a young kid from Jamaica. He's working on something. My guys in New York are working on something. Working on, my, my main producer in, in New York is working on something. Um, working on the rest of the stuff. Um, the end of the year. Probably did. Probably, I want to push for, uh, let's push for my birthday. I'm going to just throw that out there. December the 28th. I'll push for my birthday, December 28th. Are you still working on album titles and all that stuff? Oh, definitely. That, that, as, that is probably one of the most critical things for me right now because the album title can make or break the lifetime, the lifespan of your album, right? You have your diehard supporters that will support the music regardless. If you put out an album name, white sheet or pillowcase you know they, they don't care right but the person that will want to listen to it and you don't want the typical cliche album title let's praise or um highest praise or or uh, you know there's something you're trying to you, you you're trying to find something that will catch the attention probably even catch your attention in a way where you're like, what? But you're still gonna listen to it, right? So um, yeah, the album title has not yet been decided on. I had a couple of titles that was going through my mind. Um, I don't I don't even know. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know. I would have written some down a couple months ago and then COVID kind of changed how how you put stuff out now so you kind of want to not ride the, the 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 bandwagon of talking about coming out of quarantine but you you want to kind of still not be oblivious to the fact that we will still be coming out of a closed quarantine space so connecting that artistically with what the title is which is probably the thing that we can still um intentionally make um connect to um the current season so yeah that that is something that i definitely have to give much thought to 100 um that's about how to find us dale brown and truth instagram facebook email dale brown and truth um currently we are doing a um ba -ba 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 -ba. we're doing a workshop under a company i'm affiliated with called music is life and that workshop slash masterclass is called My Worship. And in that workshop, we will be teaching the average person just how to operate in a praise and worship space, how to lead in praise and worship, how to um, align songs in praise and worship, how to sing um, a little better, how to 
um, right and to uh, be intentional about the content of the music uh, connecting with the church that you are with, um, which I think is something that we stay, we're afraid of because, you know, people don't like to, like, we sing the songs that we hear on the radio. That's the songs we sing. That's what we sing for this and that and opening this and let's put this for the extras and blah, blah, blah. No, we can actually write stuff. We can write an extra. An extra is a ballad. It's two minutes long, right? We can write that. Um, so that's what we're doing. We have the most amazing set of presenters. Um, let's start with the lady, Sharon Riley, gospel recording artist, vocal coach, um, Toronto's best to date, um, known all over Canada, in Quebec, in Ontario, um, recorded a couple of songs herself. She was the leader of an amazing choir here called Faith Gospel Chorale, I want to say they're called. Faith Chorale, Faith Chorale. Um, then we moved to Wayne Buckner, Dr. Wayne Buckner, who is actually my cousin, my older cousin. Um, he is the keyboard player for the Aeolians currently. He's one of the musicians at Oakwood University. He was the head of the music department for Oakwood University. He's a prof uh, uh, what's, his, what's the word? He is a professional composer, writer for classical and gospel music. He wrote 365 songs in 2019. It was one song per day. Um, he has done stuff with people all over the world. Um, he was a filler for Take Six at one point in time. And then we have Lamar Campbell, who a lot of people don't even know. It was such a, like a, it's a spirit-filled, talented, gifted artist. He wrote the song, I lay my hands in total adoration unto you. Then he wrote, God, open the sky. We need a blessing. Um, from Indiana, a really, really devoted, dedicated, spiritual musician, talented man. Like his, his sound comes from his toes. <laughs> um, and all these guys will be involved in this workshop. They all will have a, a session that they'll be doing uh, along with myself will be kind of hosting and kind of facilitating some of the other sessions that we're doing. So it's going to be really good. Um, How do people Canadian, register? So there's a link that's posted on both my page, Dear Born and Truth's page, um, on my Facebook page, on my IG page, or you can just go to simpleticks.com, simpleticks, simpleticks.ca and type in my worship and it will come up. The, the masterclass is called My Worship. And it's, I didn't even realize how inexpensive it was until somebody pointed it out to me a couple of days ago. It's $75 for pre-registration early bird um, fees, right? And it's not just for singers too, right, right? So it's for the singers, the, the people in the audiovisual department, the people in the music department, the, the leaders, worship leaders who probably don't sing, but they're like choristers or like they lead the worship. Um, it's $75 for pre-registration. And that's for eight sessions, which works out to be eight and eight sessions that are an hour and 45 minutes approximately per session. If my math is correct, eight into 10, 
sorry, it's eighty divided. That's ten dollars, approximately. If it was eighty dollars, so it's a little less than ten dollars per session, and that's Canadian. For American dollars, it's fifty-seven dollars for eight sessions. That's a six dollar fifty cents, approximately, or about seven dollar. Um, so it's it's very inexpensive. I mean. We, we are blessed as Music is Life, and I'm speaking on behalf of Music is Life, um, to have these awesome or these well-rounded, seasoned presenters agree to just do this for an offering, right? We, we have to compensate them because we, we, we don't get much from it, right? But they are willing and they have agreed to be there to do this for a small compensation. So you know we're hoping for the best we still need more people to register we don't want to have it too big but we want to have a good size so we have group rates um which you see online as well and i think my contact is there if anybody reaches out on any platform i can definitely respond with any any ideas any questions they may to answer any questions sorry that they may have with regards to group rates and stuff like that so yeah, it should be good, man. I'm I'm excited about it. I'm anticipating it being really, really good. And you know, I asked um Kevin Jackson, who I interviewed the other day, about his vision for where he would love to see worship go. And obviously, this workshop points to your desire to see worship be more comprehensive and participatory yeah. and organic. Yeah. But where yeah. would you like to see worship go as a worship leader? I'm going to probably try to use two sentences to just say this. I would love to see a worship experience be an, a whole body, bodily engagement experience. I think a lot, we were raised to believe that if we are too expressive, we're doing too much. So we hold back the expression that we would normally have in a worship experience because that's not how we were raised. Um, so culturally, and it's not just in the Adventist church or in the Caribbean, but culturally, there are a lot of cultures that are still very, they hold back on how they express themselves when they're appreciating music or worship for that matter. So my dream, my aim is just to see people be organic and be authentic with how they express themselves in worship. I'm really big on having one express themselves in worship. Um, yeah, just full, full bodily expression. Not just your eyes, not just your smile, but your whole body engaged. That would be my ultimate goal because that tells me you now that you're in tune with the Holy Spirit and you are now um, authentically engaged to what the worship is all about. Awesome. Dale Brown and Truth is a singer, a recording artist, praise and worship leader, and he's hosting worship, a praise and worship and week masterclass, August 9th to the 3rd. And I'll put the registration info in the episode notes and it's also available on all his pages. Dale, thank you so much for the time and your transparency and your willingness 
to share your insight on your journey. And um, um, we miss you in NYC. Um, you know, funny story, you know, uh, my family was in Atlanta and my daughter, we were looking at some Christian schools and my daughter says, um, Daddy, I just saw Dale Brown and Truth. So even though you're one person, her mm -hmm. in her mind, her childlike mind, you're the whole group. So Oh man, amen. And I know you're doing great work, great work in Bless Canada, you, leading the, the, yes, the academy there. Um, congrats to you on that and continue to do the great work you're doing at. We Bless look forward to, to the journey, man. Yes, I am humbled by this opportunity to just express. Um, I, I, it's it's uh, it's always a good opportunity to a good opportunity for me, and I'm always grateful for the opportunity to just express or to share the journey that I've had musically, as an as an as a musician, as a Christian musician, as a Caribbean Christian musician. Um, thank you very much, brother. Most much love. Say hi to your family for me. I will. Blessings um, to you and the family as well, man. And yes, we'll thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. We'll keep we'll in touch. Sir. All right, now. Yes, Blessings. Cool, All right. man. Blessings. Cool. Bye. Everybody wants to be delivered and be forgiven. It's so, it's so easy. All you gotta do is trust in Jesus and be a believer and know and know that He sees and He's pleased when you're falling to your knees. Know your life will be a breeze Just let go, just let go Never fear, God is here No more pain you'll have to bear And He'll wipe away your tears So you know, you know They say under the blood say you're covered Hope you know everywhere you go say you're covered by the blood And when you walk in your have to let the world know Day or night say you're covered by the blood say Under the blood say you're covered Hope you know everywhere Everywhere you go, say you're covered by the blood. And when you walk in, you have to let the world know day or night, say you're covered Come in by the blood. Come in a certain door, can't save ya. See me, God, you can't walk over. And even though me no deserve no redeemer. Him still a cover me with peace and favor. Say me no serve no pure, can't save ya. See me, God, you can't walk over. And even though me no deserve no redeemer. Him still a cover me with peace and favor. Papa Jesus say under the blood say you're covered Hope you know everywhere you go say you're covered by the blood And when you walk in you have to let the world know Day or night say you're covered by the blood Say under the blood say you're covered Hope you know everywhere you go say you're covered by the blood And when you walk in you have to let the world know Day or night say you're covered by the blood Come in and serve no, you have your savior See me God you can't walk over And even though me no deserve no redeemer him still a cover me with peace and favor Papa Jesus said Under the blood say you're covered Hope you know everywhere you go say you're covered by the blood And when you walk in you have to let the world know Day or night say you're covered by the blood